It's February 21st, 2022. This is Rook. Iranian-Canadian siblings who are both accomplished musicians and artists and formed the band Rhythm and Vibes a few years ago. Now Sara and Nima Ahmadiyeh are working on new material and they're here live in the Rook studio for a chat and performances. But first, he's an Iranian tech genius and the winner of the 2022 Marconi Prize, often referred to as the Nobel Prize for Communications. Siobash Alamuti was expelled from Sharif University after the revolution fled Iran as a political refugee and went on to become a major innovator in the tech sector who has invented a component of the smartphone that is in your pocket. He's coming up. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 168 of Rook. Hope you're keeping well. Wherever you're tuning in from around the world, hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam, Justan Aziz, Durud Bashama. Hello, the fabulous Keon. Hi, Gian. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. <laughs> hello, Gravy Shia. Hi, Aziz. <laughs> Contrast. So match the energy. <laughs> hello, Shia. Uh, By the way, Keon walked in and she was like, um, yeah, I look like a homeless person today. <laughs> Her version of homeless, it's because like it, you're, you're wearing sweats. I'm wearing like, sweats with a cap. Yeah, but it's immaculate. Everything <laughs> is perfect. You look like you're in a catalog. I look like I haven't showered no, in days. No. <laughs> no, I'm offended. I'm genuinely offended. You know why? why? Because I thought I dressed very nice today and I look exactly like Keon. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we're car- color coordinated, but Reza actually looks put together. Siovash Alamuti, the inventor of the Alamuti code. No. Like he's got a code named after him, <laughs> uh, which is, um, uh, I can't really explain what it is. <laughs> I don't totally Great. understand. I don't, well, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going to ask him. I mean, someone's done his research. <laughs> I tried. I tried. I watched a lot of videos. I read the, the, all the articles. I mean, he. it's something to do with facilitating the use of making the uh, smartphones faster. Oh. He invented this thing that and and easier to use. I I have no idea what I'm <laughs> But anyway, think about it. All yeah. the billions of smartphones that are, you know, he's the guy who there's some component in them that he invented. So he's and then he went on to become an executive at Wells Fargo and Vodafone. He was like a young guy when he invented this. It was like in the late nineties. Co founder of Mimic. Um and uh, so now he's got this Marconi Prize, which wow. is, a, I, from what I understand, the, the biggest prize you can get in communications oh, and tech. And uh, and he's he's still a disruptor. Like he's uh, he's making the case for the decentralization of the internet. Ooh. Huh. 
You would like that, Reza. I would like that, yeah. After your trip to Florida, now that you're, <laughs> right. you the believe in freedom. Decentralization <laughs> of internet would be my next on my I don't agenda. Know. I don't, yes, exactly. Uh, but no. Marconi, wasn't Marconi an inventor himself? What did he invent? Yes, very good. What did he invent? Yeah, Reza knows stuff. Oh Re- my what did he invent? <laughs> tell, me, tell me, guess what he invented. Uh, it has to do with exactly what we're doing right now. Telephone. Are we on the felt? We're not on the phone <laughs> right now. Electricity. <laughs> Microphone. <laughs> Microphone. He did Microphone. not invent electricity. Ferrari? That's right. You know, the radio. Oh, Marconi invented the radio. That's right. That's right. He was go. Italian, wasn't he? French, maybe. No, he's Italian. He's Italian. But Italian. I, I, his name is Marconi. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, actually mm. that's not much of a He's Italian. Just that's guessing not much things. Of a no, I remember. Old I think he invented radio. I think. Uh, now I'm. Now I'm. Uh, you're making me doubt myself. No, well, I'm gonna Google it right Google now. Google it right now. <laughs> hey Siri, who invented the radio? The answer I found is Guglielmo Marconi. Ah, there you go. Oh, hey, thank you, Siri. Uh, you win like Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I win Jeopardy. Well, anyway, yeah, that's so right, uh, right. So he he won the mark. Anyway, see Avash Alamuti joining us in a in a few moments, and then later in the show, Sara and Nima Ahmed. Yeah, you may know them from the band that they uh, they front. Uh, they're two thirds of the band Rhythm and Vibes. Shall I play a little bit of uh, Rhythm and Vibes? They're going to be, okay, that's Sarah. <laughs> and that's Farmaz Aslani. I was going to say. Now that's, that's, that's Nima. She's, I love her voice. So this is a recording from, I guess, 2016. Oh, here's the chorus. Sorry, I don't want to step on the chorus. At Sara Nima Ahmadiyya. Rhythm and Vibes. So they're going to be here live in the studio awesome. uh, in about uh, 45 minutes an hour performing. Can't wow. wait to hear yeah. it perform. 45 do you, minutes. Do you get excited when you see Reza doing that little dance that he does? Uh, no, I, do, I, I look away because it just hurts my <laughs> eyes. I can't. Is it because I'm, I'm color coordinated with you? You don't want to look at yourself in the mirror? No, I just don't Self-hate. like to look at you in general. <laughs> no, but I like their song. It's so soothing and uh, I can't wait to hear them perform live. Mm-hmm. It's they're, awesome. Yeah, uh, they've got a really interesting story too. Uh, they came from Iran uh, separately. Wow. They're siblings, right? For sure, what I talk to them about is how they seem to get along so mm-hmm. well both as bandmates and as you know Sibling. family i mean it's it's amazing yeah. they just they, they've got each other's back they they really really seem to dig working together it's a really interesting story all right so rhythm and vibes coming up later in the show see if i shall have in just a little bit i wanted to let everybody know that we have an updated website mm-hmm. And uh, big props to talented Anahita and parts of the artists who've been working on this for a while. Um, and it's just great. It's like it's like Netflix kind mm-hmm. of, you know. Yeah, it's it's really you cool. just scroll through. You can see all the episodes and uh, the different shows and different programs. So rookmedia.com. Mm-hmm. 
Have you looked at it, Keon? I, of course I have. It's very sleek. Afraid to ask you. It's sleek. Have you even seen the website I can that has features all the episodes of Unmarried Persian Girls as well mm-hmm. there? It's got all of it there. Rookmedia.com. Uh, and if you go to rookmedia.com, you can become a patron That's right. of our program. And uh, so you just go to the button that says, there's two buttons. One says about us, which you can read about us. And the other one says uh, support us. And if you yeah. press on that, you, you can become a patron. Uh, and, you know, if you've been listening to this this podcast or this network or, you know, in, in the last few weeks or months or even for, you know, we've been it's been a year and a half, almost two years since we started. Uh, and certainly if you do so regularly and you really like it, it really helps us out for you to become a patron. Uh, you can choose five, ten or twenty five dollars a month. And uh, it's a lifeline for us. So we love you when you become patrons. And uh, all you got to do is go to rookmedia.com and press support us. Right, Reza? That's exactly right. And it's kind of like Netflix. You know, you pay a membership fee for Netflix and you never watch it. You only spend five <laughs> hours a night scrolling through Netflix trying to find something. That's right. We've created the That's conditions right. where you don't have to listen to us. You yes. can just scroll through now <laughs> and much. try and decide which and waste your time trying to decide which episode you want to listen to. Yes, yes. And then move fun. on. <laughs> no, but highly recommend go checking it out. At least yeah. take a look at the new version. It's really cool. Yeah, and it and really it is a, a cultural mission we're on, uh, and so we we love any kind of support that you can give us. And to become a patron, rookmedia.com. Okay, I have an announcement to make Ooh. about a big uh, guest that we've got coming up on this program. Drum roll. Uh, Shia. Yes. <laughs> the guest is Shia. <laughs> Shia will be... <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, I, you know, we have been working on this for, I'd say, a few, probably a few months. Probably, I mean, he was always on our board from the mm-hmm. beginning of when, when we launched Rook because I know we're, I think all of us are huge mm-hmm. fans. I'm certainly like, I'm just, I, I just couldn't say more about this guy in, in terms of, I think, along with maybe Homayon Shajarion, uh-huh. He's probably the best voice. No doubt. Yes. Oh, you think no doubt? Yeah. His no doubt. voice is the best. Yes. yes. In Iranian music. Yeah. In, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so in the coming days on Rook, uh, Ali Reza Orbani is going to join us for wow. the future. And I don't think he's done very many interviews in English. I think this is one of those where we're going to talk in... Persian and uh, in English. I never watched anything in English, actually. He's in Tehran, so he's yeah. going to do the interview from Tehran. Uh, and um, anyway, it's a great honor. You know, I think two years ago, if, like the, like a, right before COVID, he did something like 45 nights mm-hmm. in a row wow. in yeah. Tehran. Like they just kept adding shows yeah. and sold out. Nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, be, I mean, that's people, the appetite for Ali Reza Khomeini in Iran is just, just kept adding nights. And then they had to finally stop the run because COVID happened, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise it just, it just kept going, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's coming up in the coming days on uh, Ali Reza Khomeini. And uh, around Noru's time, which I guess is, uh, you know, three weeks from now mm-hmm. or something like that, oh, yeah. uh, we're going to debut a very special version of the Rook theme. Mm. With lyrics, perform well. First of all, with lyrics, with that's lyrics. new. Who yeah. wrote, wrote the lyrics? 
that will be we'll have to let you know with lyrics performed and recorded by a major artist in the Iranian music world huh that will any clue we're going to drop that and the clue is uh, no no male female no oh come on that we're going to drop that on Noruz which I think is March 20th this year is the Persian New Year no it's the 20th for on the English calendar, or whatever the art, the, the real calendar. <laughs> the real calendar. <laughs> the real calendar. We're gonna get angry letters now. I know, I know. Thanks a lot. How dare you? Why you, you say that? Why you say this is the real calendar? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. So on that day, we're gonna drop a version of the rook, a new version of the rook That's theme amazing. with lyrics performed and recorded by a major artist in the Iranian music world, and uh, I, it's it's. I can't wait for you guys to can, hear this. Can, yeah. can you give a little bit of yeah, hint? Like, what little. kind of music? Is it rock rock? Is it classical? Is it like sonati? Like, what are we I looking at? I don't want to give away too much. Nothing? Shia no. knows. Give me a little bit. Something. No. Wait, wait. Just wait? Yeah, wait. Uh, yes. Yes. You guys but it's, suck. it's really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. Really? It's really good. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm just trying it's to imagine really the lyrics right now. Something. <laughs> me too. Me too. Me too. In a studio far away. <laughs> and if you become a patron of Rook, you will hear that song. Wait, is it in Persian? Also, if you're not a patron. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> is it in Persian? Or, it is in or, Persian. Okay, it is in Persian. Okay, then I have yeah. no idea what the lyrics could be. <laughs> the major artist is Reza. <laughs> Great, we just lost about 100 subscribers. Thanks, thanks for that. People are giving money back. Try, trying to get their money back from it. They became patrons and now they're already canceling. No, they don't sign up for that. <laughs> uh, are, do you have plans for Noruz, Reza? Actually, I'm quite excited about Noruz this year because the is first Noruz I'm celebrating with my parents after Aww. a very, very long Aww. time. See, that yeah, to me so is Noruz. Nice. That's a that's yeah. Sweet. To me, to me, it's actually got a different vibe. Like yeah. regardless of the like COVID, uh, all of that, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm actually excited because yeah, I get to spend uh, half the around half scene with your parents. With my parents, that's yeah. so sweet, that's eh? Really yeah. sweet. Never see that side of Reza. Never yeah. ever. <laughs> Just a one-dimensional guy. <laughs> it's just, then you realize it's no, usually it's like just huh, a dick. That's how I, it. How can I make money from cannabis? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine him with parents. <laughs> I can make money off of my parents. He has I'm family. Do that. <laughs> yes, he's, he's, he was born. That's really sweet. That's yeah, really yeah, sweet. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. and uh, then I'm gonna send them to Iran because I've had enough. But <laughs> no, I thought they were staying here. <laughs> no, they are. They are. No. Well, they moved here, right? They did. Yeah. And then I they're living with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved in together because well, they newcomers to Canada mm. they don't know mm. the language they don't know anything they don't know much so I'm um, basically I decided to move in with them for the first six to a year and then like help them and how how is you left when you were what, 18 yeah right? so how is reconvening and living with parents Persian parents after 20 years <laughs> or 15 years <laughs> luckily the good thing is that they were able to adjust to me like mm. much easier and they were more flexible with giving me privacy uh-huh, well okay. giving me privacy letting me like do my own thing you know do drugs in the kitchen <laughs> but in the bathroom more so <laughs> don't lock the door <laughs> make sure my mom's calling I me for dinner I found some of your cocaine <laughs> <laughs> You're using the opium again? Uh, no, no, again. it's not opium. No, that. I'm what selling it. What powder, yes. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah, no, we're sharing. It's uh, it's it's been pretty great being able to you know hang out and have fun with the family. But yeah, they were able to adjust to me much easier. And uh, there were at first, obviously, they were like you're getting to know new people. That's mm. what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, with but, your uh, parents, you mean? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's like they stopped like my image of uh, like my image in their minds stopped at the age of 18 essentially right. you know that's everything else that's the thing that's the, the thing about that's t- tough with Persian parents yeah, obviously we talk about it tough. a lot even with our uh, psychologists last mm-hmm. week I mean we were talking about Persian parental pr- pressure because to a certain extent I know because to a certain extent you especially with Persian parents I know this is universal but they'll always think of you as this little child. boy. Child, that little boy. So the fact that they're giving you this emancipated life, yeah. of, that mm-hmm. they've adjusted to you, as you yeah, say, yeah. is actually amazing. It is mm-hmm. really amazing, yeah. They're open, very open-minded when it comes to things like that. But Drugs? <laughs> <laughs> not, poor guy. It's not, I, he's not even that. Uh, yeah. I know. I'm, yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even that. Like, I know. You don't God. even. <laughs> it's not like you do cocaine every day. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not like I'm selling it. Like. Right. But uh, all jokes aside it's been uh yeah it's been very interesting adjusting to right. one another people that were your parents are your parents right people that were your parents <laughs> and they and your but also you have your mom making you food now oh that's amazing, amazing. to be honest yeah. that's worth like everything have I've you gained weight since a lot yeah, yeah, yeah i've gotten really jean the other day was like you know you look like um i don't want to say you're fat i did like not say that no I you didn't you didn't say what did fat. i say you're like you're more manly Husky. you're like more like you're he's like, filled in he's <laughs> filled in he's like, good yeah. in a good you way no 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 not joff daddy he just looks like he's like uh i'm getting older he doesn't That's look like a little boy but you see what's funny about that like regardless of the space they're giving me and but there's still like little thing like the the fact that i'm a kid to them still pops up my mom goes your hair is gonna like be dark again like I'm like ma it's, it's okay I'm getting older by the way that's a, a thing that I I don't understand the thing in the Persian language that I it never I never have it in my in my family but I've noticed with some Iranians uh, more recently or, uh, that they come from Iran where the mom calls the son Maman yeah. and you call her Maman as everybody yeah. calls each other Maman <laughs> yeah. I don't know I don't get it I, I think it's lovely but I, what, what does that mean I have no idea it's just I've heard it all my life it's just I don't think about it I think uh. other cultures do it too like Spanish people yeah. they, they do say, oh, mommy come you know yeah, like they say mommy. Oh. yeah that's true that's they say interesting alright well I'm sure somebody will write it and give us the answer <laughs> is it that interesting it is <laughs> like actually it is interesting yeah. to me I uh, first I thought it was uh, like weird I, yeah. uh, one of my cousins was doing it with their kid mama and mama and I was like well that's mm. you know I know um, I know it is I, I didn't find it weird until like now that Jean mentioned mm. it actually like my mother never called me mama and I feel like I'm left out why didn't she call me mother (laughs) why was i not mom (laughs) Uh, all right uh let's get to our guests thank you everybody we'll see you in a little bit fabulous keon uh captain reza gubishai rhythm and vibes sara and nima ahmadiyya joining us in just a little while in the rook studio i know they're here but let's get to our first guest you know we often pride ourselves in the Iranian diaspora for having successful members of our community when it comes to the technology sector. 
And our feature guest today is a genuine tech star who is certainly on that list. Siovash Alamuti is an Iranian-Canadian technology genius, a business executive, an entrepreneur, and an electrical engineer. Siovash is most well-known for the invention of the Alamuti Code in 1998, a technological advancement that has been adopted in almost all wireless standards globally and included in billions of wireless devices. Siovash was born in Tehran. He was a student at Sharif University of Technology in the early 80s Iran. He left as a political refugee, first to Spain and then to Canada, where he received his BA and master's degrees in electrical engineering from the University of British Columbia. Since then, he's been building a remarkable resume that has included Executive Vice President of Innovation R&D at Wells Fargo, R&D Director at Vodafone Group, and prestigious positions at Intel. He's the co-founder and executive chairman and former president and CEO of Mimic, and most recently, Literally this month, Siavash has just been awarded the 2022 Marconi Prize for his technical, practical, entrepreneurial, and humanitarian work. This international award recognizes innovators who've made significant contributions to increasing digital inclusion through advanced information and communications technology. Right now, Siavash Alamuti joins me from Oakland, California today. Hello, sir. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm gra- great. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm great. I mean, I, uh, it's been uh, a great surprise to uh, receive the award. Uh, I'm so honored, uh, you know, and uh, I feel that uh, after years of uh, working together uh, with uh, a team of amazing uh, uh, partners, we have received this recognition not only for my work, but the uh, work of many, many people that I worked with uh, in the last few years wow. to get us to here. I mean, first and foremost, congratulations. This this Marconi Prize is often referred to as the Nobel Prize for Communications. When did you, Siavash, when did you first find out you'd been selected as this 2022 Marconi Fellow? So that's that. That's a very interesting story because I I got an email from a friend of mine, a colleague, Andrew Goldschmidt, who's the dean of Princeton uh, University, and uh, she sent me an email. Said to myself and Wind Surf, and Wind Surf, by the way, is known as one of the fathers of internet. Uh, we wanted we want to talk to you to get you involved in Marconi Society. And I thought, oh, well, it, it, it seems like, uh, you know, they need, uh, they need help uh, for digital inclusion. They want me to be part of the society and help them out. And I was, uh, I said, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, you know, in my entire life, uh, I've been, my passion has been bringing digital inclusion. And there's no uh, organization uh, like Marconi Society. Uh, that has had so many people that I've known all my life and uh, read their books. Uh, you know, Leonard Kleinrock said, of course, I will participate. So uh, we got on a Zoom call. And then Andrea uh, told me, Siavash, we wanted to tell you that you've been uh, selected uh, as the Marconi Fellow. Uh, and then you will be receiving this award. And, you know, the, <laughs> I, tears uh, came to my eyes. And, uh, you know, I was uh, really, I was, I was uh, shocked. 
because receiving such an award and I and I didn't know how this was kept from me because this is something you have to obviously file uh, and applications hundreds of pages people need to write the reference letters uh, sometimes you find out uh, and uh, I, I was clueless uh, and it was a big surprise that's it's amazing and I I, I can I mean, I, I think I, I have my answer to my next question when you said you had tears in your eyes. You are the, you are the first Canadian, uh, let alone person who came to Canada as a political refugee, to, to receive this prestigious award. What, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, uh, it, uh, you know, I, I hold uh, a Canadian citizenship and a U.S. citizenship. But Canada was really uh, the country, and that's a story on its own. How I came, I came here as a political refugee. But Canada, I've been always thankful to this country for um, accepting me as a refugee and giving me the opportunity to study at the university and all of that. So it was uh, a big honor for me uh, to be able to, uh, as a Canadian, uh, receive this award and bring some pride for Canada uh, as well. Yes. Uh, I, we will get into that story. I'm going to be. I want to ask you a little bit about being a political refugee in a few minutes. But, but you've mentioned um, digital inclusion. In fact, the award, the Marconi Prize, mentions digital inclusion uh, in terms of one of the factors uh, that determine who gets this prize. What 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 do we mean? I have a sense of it, but what do we mean when when we say digital inclusion? It, it, mean, it means bringing internet to everyone, every uh, child, woman, ma man across the world, uh, include them in the digital world so that they have access to information and services coming uh, through the internet. So right now we have uh, another 2 billion, uh, I don't know the statistics exactly right now, but uh, 2 to 3 billion people that are still not connected. And uh, in Marconi Society, we will uh, definitely, one of our missions is to uh, uh, bring Internet uh, to everyone. And then, of course, make, make sure that Internet becomes uh, the source of information for most people. Um, and uh, we fight disinformation and propaganda right, right. Uh, through the channels. I, I was going to say, I mean, 20 years ago, I would have thought everybody getting the Internet is a great thing. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> You know, although I know it can be a lifeline, of course, but um, uh, let, we'll, let me ask you about the Internet in a few minutes and, and the, the ups and yeah. downs of it. One of the reasons you got this prize, I mean, if you, you know, if someone does any basic research on you, um, your what you're most known for is the development of this Alamuti code. Now. Um, which is also known as the space-time block code. I, I, I hesitate to ask you about this because I know tech folks like yourself uh, sometimes explain things and, and leave us twisting in the wind. Right. You know. But if you can do it in a simple manner, what is the Alamuti code? So uh, it, it's, a, uh, it's a simple concept, actually. It's uh, when we uh, communicate with each, other, with each other, for instance, when I'm talking to you and you don't, understand something i repeat myself right say uh Jean, uh, uh repeated twice uh, and then the chances of you understanding it goes up exponentially sure. correct uh, so uh, probably the second time if i repeat it four times then definitely by that time uh, you must have got it i'm gonna get the message that. right yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so this is called diversity you know this is uh 
uh, repeating it in time is uh, diversity in time. And, uh, but you can, in, in a radio channel, you can repeat it uh, through antennas that are separated from each other sufficiently so that the signals are not correlated and, and you can uh, uh, distinguish this. And the Alamuti code was a way of actually uh, com- uh, separating these signals uh, so that you could receive it uh, uh, with better quality. The end result of it is that you could have much better reception quality using the code uh, with uh, reduced size. Uh, If you wanted to get that quality, for instance, you would have to put multiple receivers in a device. It's expensive. The size goes up and your battery consumption goes up. So in effect, it makes the code makes uh, wireless communication much more affordable in small sizes. And when this Alamuchi code has been used in, uh, as I said in the in the introduction, in billions of wireless devices, I'm assuming this crosses brand names and companies. This this is in uh, in in the technology of, of of almost all the kind of smartphones we use these days. Absolutely, it's, it's part of international standards. It's part of the. Uh, 3GPP standard that uh, started uh, with 3G and has continued with 4G, 5G, and uh, the code will go even into 6G. <laughs> so because it's what is called an optimal code, you can't really do any better than that. Right? It's just remarkable. It's it's remarkable. The weirdest thing, too, about it is that this code, the Alamuchi code, has the same name. It's a strange similarity to your last name. I'm assuming that's a <laughs> clearly a coincidence, but <laughs> uh, the, the 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 reason it has my last name on it is because I uh, invented it when I was at AT and T. Uh, at that time, I was fairly uh, a, a young uh, with not a lot of experience, maybe five or six years of experience uh, uh, designing uh, mobile data protocols. Uh, so I had to do it on my own. Then uh, when I shared it uh, with friends and colleagues, uh, with researchers, they referred uh, to the code with my name. Uh, that was the easiest way to say this. Was, uh, so I wrote a paper, uh, published it. Uh, I never called it Alamuti code or space-time code. The space-time code, in fact, was coined uh, with my uh, good friend, Vahid Toroh who uh, joined me about a year after I had invented the code to start expanding and trying to generalize the code to uh, more antennas. Just, right? just, just, just out of curiosity, I mean, you were you know, a, a young man at the time. You're still a young man, but even a younger man at, at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious how something like an idea like this comes to you. Is it like in the movies? Do you have like a a eureka moment and you're in front of a, a chalkboard and there's all these scratches and, and you've come up with some sort of code or or does it come to you in your sleep or are you sitting in a lab or how, how did you how did you have the foresight to develop this right oh it's this this eureka thing is one of the fallacies of how innovation is done it was really a lot of uh, iteration and hard work and they say necessity is the mother of innovation mm-hmm. at the time uh, I was working on a project at at and that was very, very challenging uh, to meet the requirements. Uh, you know, people uh, had made some assumptions, and very early on, I realized that many of those assumptions were incorrect, and this project was going to fail. 
And it was my attempt to just staying up uh, uh, many nights thinking about this. I worried that we were all going to lose our jobs. We had set a a lot of expectations. It was a multi-billion dollar project. Uh, And I started working the problem backwards. And I've been uh, kind of trying to teach uh, my team uh, and others on this methodology of design that you don't start with technology. You know, you start uh, with the end result that you want to get. So I started with the signal formats that I wanted to see at the end, and you started working the problem backwards, Hmm. right? And then I reached uh, at that code. And finally, oh, this worked. That was was the path to it. You you have something of a a mantra, Siavasha, where you say your passion has always been about what you can do with technology rather than the technology itself. Explain that. Is it to say that you're you're not really a tech nerd, you're you're more about how to harness new innovations for a larger purpose? Oh, absolutely. It's always, I, uh, I wasn't uh, that, uh, that keen. In fact, if uh, uh, I had uh, the opportunity, if my parents would have left, uh, left me, I would have gone into arts and uh, studied music. I always wanted to become a, a singer. You know, rock and roll singer. It's not too late. It's not too late. Uh, and by the way, I love I love, love your uh, past work. That's we can talk about that as well when you were at Maxi. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you're a fan of the <laughs> you're a fan what, of that. You saw us when we <laughs> did, did, you, did. You come to the Vancouver Folk Festival? Where did you see? Uh, yeah. Yes, I saw you guys at the Vancouver Folk Festival. Yes, absolutely. I had a lot. It was a lot of fun. So we, we can we can talk about that. The, well, sorry, the, the question. The, the, I I I distracted you after you distracted yourself. Yeah. Uh, the question yeah. was about um, about what, being yeah. being passionate about what you can do with technology right. rather than the yeah, technology. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's always been uh, that way. I uh, grew up uh, in a household. Uh, uh, my father was uh, vice minister of energy. He was in charge of water resources in Iran. And uh, despite uh, uh, his uh, uh, very important position, uh, we had a fairly humble uh, life. He was a very humble man, and oh, he always said that he did the work to bring water to people. Uh, mm. And I was taught from a uh, young age that I should work uh, for impact, you mm. know. And I think it was his influence that uh, drove me uh, throughout uh, my life. You know, I, I, I remember when he uh, first came to uh, Vancouver at the time I was at University of British Columbia and we went uh, to visit a few friends and he spoke uh, French uh, and English uh, fluently. And they asked him, they asked my father, he said, so what, what do you do? What's your profession? And uh, the fellow was a, a French Canadian and he started speaking in French because he uh, realized mm-hmm. the French accent, and he said, "Well, I bring water to people." And the guy thought that he was, uh, you know, like in villages where people bring water. <laughs> right. So he said, "How is it that you've learned both English and French when you were just a peasant or whatever, right, right, uh, right. bringing water to people?" And I, I, I interjected, and no, he was. 
he, he said he brings water to people because he, he was the vice minister of energy. He was the one that spearheaded uh, nationalization of water in Iran. Uh, and uh, so by, that by the way, was, that, think, it doesn't sound like that humble in existence. I mean, that, <laughs> you, you guys weren't. <laughs> you're the, the vice minister of, of 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 energy. I mean, that's a. Um, but you, yeah, it's funny because I wanted to ask you about your past. Yeah. I, I should say parenthetically, it's so interesting to hear you talk about your trajectory because so many times on this show, um, we'll talk to someone who. Uh, you, you know, I lament the fact that there are so many potentially great creative folks or artists or architects or, or painters or musicians or writers, et cetera, who are through their, you know, their middle or upper class Persian parents streamed into engineering or medicine or something. And, and we lose that kind of talent. And in your case, I think, wow, thank God your parents made you go into the, the sciences <laughs> because you're a hero. You know, I mean, uh, this yeah. is uh, as much as I'd love to hear you you know sing some pink floyd tunes i mean it's a it's it's great to, it's a great fortune that they forced you to go into this this area um but you you you've said a big part of your mission especially as an iranian who experienced the revolution is the struggle for freedom and i want to come back to the concept of freedom but let me just get some background you, you you've said that part of your story is being purged from sharif university in 1980 in the aftermath of the revolution yeah. you were you were expelled what happened so uh the cultural revolution happened uh, you know the uh, after the revolution i, I was uh, really supportive uh, of, of the revolution because i thought uh, that it will bring uh, democracy to iran we were under what we call the dictatorship uh, at a time we didn't know what was going to happen with khomeini coming to power right i never by the way i never uh, i'm proud to say and i never uh, supported khomeini uh, I never said Durut uh, Bar Khomeini or Allah <laughs> Akbar or the, those kinds of things. I was very left uh, leaning uh, at the time. Uh, wanted democracy and freedom of speech and equality and social justice uh, for the people. But when the revolution happened, there was a period of about a year, two years of absolute freedom because the uh, government, uh, the new government hadn't uh, taken hold, so people uh, had st uh, started expressing themselves. There were uh, thousands of publications uh, and all of that. And when I went to university, I was very vocal. I said uh, my opinions. I was an atheist. Uh, I uh, said that I didn't believe in God. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of uh, religion. Uh, I uh, uh, expressed that as well. And those all went into my file and I uh, got expelled uh, as a result of it when the Cultural Revolution happened. The Cultural Revolution was basically uh, uh, Khomeini's and his cohorts attempts of cleansing the universities from any kind of uh, intellectual uh, thought. Wow, so yeah. anybody that had any kind of progressive views that were not aligned with the government were expelled, right? So we put up a big fight, uh, about 30 students uh, got killed uh, during that fight. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then thousands executed, as you know, afterwards. Sure. Uh, you know, and uh, I, that's when I went uh, underground. I uh, 
uh, wasn't even going uh, home anymore. How did uh, you get it, out? How did you get to Spain? Uh, I got out through Pakistan, walking through mountains with five friends uh, through Baluchistan. Wow. Uh, in nineteen in nineteen eighty two. Wow. I, they, these stories are all, they never cease to amaze me that um, you know kids in the West are thinking about. Uh, um, you know, what new car am I going to buy or can I become a member of that tennis club? And, and, uh, in, in Iran, at least at that time, they're walking across the border, trying to, trying to get to safety, um, into Pakistan. Uh, how does a political refugee who lands in Canada in, in the 1980s, um, become an executive at some of the biggest companies in the world just a few years later. What what do you think it was in you that 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 you skyrocketed seemingly um, so quickly? Oh wow! Uh, it was kind of uh, it's really hard for me to kind of decipher uh, the code to this to my existence, as they say, and how I ended up where I ended up. But always uh, thought big, you know. I uh, I was never interested in doing things that had uh, a small impact, right? So when I came to Canada, uh, I picked the uh, best university. I went to UBC. I studied electrical engineering, uh, and at the same time, uh, during that time, I was also. Uh, uh, politically very active. If you recall, uh, in the 80s, uh, there was the rise of the Reform Party and the new Nazis and fascists in Canada. Sure. Uh, I was uh, politically very active. I even got into media. We had a radio uh, station, uh, CFRO 102.7 Co-op Radio, uh, a Persian radio called Radio Pajwak, because I was helping other refugees integrate and we were realizing that uh, a lot of the refugees came with uh, uh, racist and homophobic, uh, you know, uh, especially homophobic during the, the AIDS crisis. So we created that uh, radio uh, channel. And when I was in school and studying, I was thinking constantly about what am I going to do? Uh, and uh, when I graduate, uh, to have an impact and uh, that was the era uh, that Internet was being born, the mobile data protocols were, uh, were being born. And I always uh, thought that information and access to information was key uh, mm -hmm. to uh, bringing social progress. Right? Right, right. So I put all my effort into it. Uh, I used the advice from my father to always do the right thing. Uh, don't do anything for money or for appeasing other people. Uh, just uh, do uh, things that you have a passion for and you love. And I just applied that. And I, and I was lucky to uh, be in certain uh, situations that got me to grow really fast. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, being part of a team uh, that built one of the first uh, cellular mobile data protocols mm. called CDPD. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I, I got engaged in that project. Uh, and that project was managed by uh, Macaw Cellular. And mm. uh, Craig Macaw at the time was the Elon Musk of the time. And I was given the opportunity to go and work with them uh, to work on the future wireless networks. Uh, hang on a second. When you say... 
your father's uh, advice, which I love. You know, don't don't ever do anything just for money. Um, how do you square the circle of that with working at the big kind of corporations that you've worked at at an executive level? I mean, I'm assuming you can't go to the the CEO of Vodafone and say, "Hey, man, you know, I'm not really interested in making us money." Uh, I just, you know, you know I, I mean, is that really? If you were to be rook, if you were to be honest about this, you've never done anything for money. Yeah. I've never done anything for money. I, I, I tell you, and I, that has always got me into trouble. If you look at my uh, uh, my career, you'll see that <laughs> every few years I've had to <laughs> leave a job because it got to a point that said money would become uh, the priority huh. uh, and not, not, not long-term impact, right? So uh, I, uh, but I also learned because I, during the time that I was at university and we were doing all of these uh, protests, for instance, against Reform Party or the new Nazis and all of that, we would go and have uh, protest after protest. And I didn't see uh, an impact. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't see this really changing stuff. Then mm-hmm. I kind of learned that I have to work within the system and change things from within. As an outsider, I can't, I can't be impactful. So I always looked at, uh, I went uh, to Intel, and by the way, when I was at Intel, Intel was amazing because they gave me all the support to create uh, open standards to make uh, access to internet affordable. Intel subsidized, for instance, Wi-Fi technology into laptops, and it was because of the people that were there. There were other people like me that they wanted the same things. Uh, they wanted open standards. They wanted affordable internet, uh, and they were not there just for the money, right? Mm. Of course, we were all uh, uh, well rewarded. The jobs that paid well, but you can be paid well and still be highly impactful, mm. right? Uh, so the the thing is that the money we wouldn't sell our souls for uh, for the money, but we obviously uh, would get rewarded. Uh, uh, for the work that we did, so you can really balance that. It's not you don't have to sell your soul uh, to short-term gains of large corporations in in order to be impactful. Much of what you have done has been in the area of R and D, research and development. What what is what have you learned about what the key is to effective research and development at, at any company? It, it's really about spending a lot of time on problem description and what is it that you want to do and what you want to uh, achieve. A lot of the R&D work is technology driven. And that has been one of the big challenges in every organization that I've been to convince uh, other engineers, my team members, to start defining the problem like layers of onion. And that's something that I uh, uh, learned not uh, from other engineers, but uh, from this uh, fellow that I uh, used to uh, follow called Jiddu Krishnamurti, mm. uh, who was a philosopher. Yeah. Right. I, and uh, I used to uh, read everything he uh, wrote in every uh, speech that he had uh, because uh, he. When you asked him a question, he started, uh, you know, expanding on it. And, uh, you know, it's the simplest question. He would uh, break it down to be able to uh, provide answers to it. And that's uh, key to uh, research and development, is to define uh, the objective, not focus on the technology, and then use any kind of technology as a tool 
to achieve uh, uh, the result. Mm. So if you want affordable connectivity, high data rate, you start with that and say, how, what do I have to do to get there? What should the uh, phone cost? Uh, what should the cost of management of this thing be? And that requires a multidisciplinary approach. And that has got me into trouble. I mean, I remember when I was at AT&T, I was kicked out of a meeting. I was told that you're a scientist, but you're trying to be an MBA wannabe uh, because I was asking for access to the actual business model. So we can't share with you uh, the business model. Right. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that, that is, uh, you know, it, so you have to be multidisciplinary and you have to start with the objective and work your problem backwards and never fall in love with the tools that you have, right? And always think outside the box uh, because our knowledge is so limited as much as uh, we have progressed so much in technology. We know uh, a you know a small percentage <laughs> of uh, what is fact and reality, right? A lot of these things are theories. And you don't want to build on top of theories and make assumptions. Uh, you want to start always uh, 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 looking backwards and look outside the box and find new ways of solving problems. That you, really you, is key. Do you have to be young? I mean, I, I'm not actually being facetious when I ask that. We have this image of the the people who are at the forefront of new technology always being the young ones, right? Like in the, the proverbial Mark Zuckerberg, he's 18 and you know first year university students and creates Facebook or 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 all of these type of um, hungry young minds who can think outside the box and then get sort of fat or um, sedated or or satisfied in their thinking by the time they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, are younger minds more apt to be hungry and develop new ideas? I think so, yeah. And the reason for that is that they haven't learned as much. Uh, in order to do really disruptive things, uh, the most important thing is to unlearn what you've learned. Hmm. And uh, and younger people have less unlearning to do, right? So their minds are much more, it's like a uh, more of a, uh, what do you say, clean uh, slate or, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Uh, blank canvas. So yeah. Blank canvas, mm -hmm. right? So they have they have that that advantage. If you can uh, marry the young minds with the experience and the knowledge of the uh, old uh, that are flexible, and that has been my kind of I think uh, one of my greatest strengths uh, mm -hmm. is uh, to be able to listen to the young mind and be flexible. So when they are right to accept it. And uh, when they're wrong, to uh, lead them to right to the right direction, right? Right, right. Uh, that you require that uh, humbleness to be able to do uh, real disruptive things, right? It also kind of involves not respecting the rules that as you get older, you 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 kind of have this deference to, right? Like if if some. 17 year old now says to me you should do interview interviews that are 30 seconds long i would be like what value does an interview that is 30 seconds long have but you know if they start that 30 second show maybe that's get you know becomes the the new you know normal right or something um, absolutely i said i wanted to come back to the concept of freedom right see how do you define personal freedom 
personal freedom to me is uh, my uh, ability to be able to learn and explore and to be able to communicate what I've learned and explore and get feedback on it freely, right? And of course, then uh, my, my choices in life that are completely uh, relate to me as a person, my sexual orientation, uh, my choice of food, my uh, any choice that I make that only impacts me, I should be free to do that. So Nobody how does should. how does technology intersect with the quest for freedom? Uh, the technology again is a is a tool for me to be able to communicate, to be able to learn first and explore. Uh, internet, you know, I have the entire Library of Congress. I remember the days that I had to go to the library to search for information. Now I just put a, a keyword. Uh, and I can do tons of research, and so that's freedom. Learning, and that's freedom. Uh, to me, to me, is part of part of part of freedom. The the learning for me to become free, I need to get to know myself and the environment that I'm uh, in. Right. Mm. So the learning aspect, the exploring aspect, the tools that uh, uh, technology provides me to explore, often. Uh, we kind of work based on speculations and opinions. Mm -hmm. So when you have an opinion, uh, you have a belief, you have, I, I always say, you have, uh, when the, my uh, friends tell me, say, I, I believe something, I say, so what are you going to do with that belief? Mm -hmm. Because your belief may be a fact or may be a fallacy. So in order to reach to a conclusion, you have to understand whether your belief is a fact or a fallacy. In order to do that, you need to explore. The technology gives you the tools to explore. And then once you explore, you want to share and communicate that to everyone. Mm. Right? I've never been uh, keen on keeping trade secrets uh, for myself. You know? uh, and uh, I, I remember a day before my uh, father passed away when he had cancer. I was taking care of him and I was uh, on a call with a patent lawyer. And we were talking about patents. You know, and he was over here in the conversation. And uh, after the call, says, Silvesh, uh, I know this patent stuff you guys are doing, but you know, one thing, if, if you're not going to do something with your idea, uh, uh, share it. And if you think somebody else is going to be able to do a better job with your idea, share it. Mm. Because that's what's going to uh, bring progress uh, to the world. Never keep it, uh, because they lawyer was saying that maybe we should keep this as a as a trade secret i get the access part of it obviously i mean obviously right. that that that's amazing the the suddenly yeah. having access to information or the world at your fingertips all of that so, uh, the one part one of the parts that doesn't feel like freedom is that we are removed we are we get farther and farther away from the source of how to actually do something right so like you know recently my garage uh, opener uh, broke and it's this digital thing you know you press a button from inside the house or whatever and the garage door opened and and I couldn't open the garage door because the digital thing is broken right so here's technology has supposedly made this easier for me and yet if that didn't exist I would just go and lift the garage door but it was it would lock it wouldn't let me do that so that for me feels like a kind of metaphor as to you know how we we go into this rabbit hole of technology and we get farther away from being able to do simple things for ourselves right 
Right. But but again, that's bad user experience. That was a bad design. So there should be your garage door opener should have a manual. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's no, a it's, that's, it never has that. It has tech support and geek squads and whatever. And then you have to, you know, wait until some spotty faced person comes that you're paying a hundred bucks an hour to figure out how to press the button. You know, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> but I know I'm niggling. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this concept of what it means to be to be free at the same time you are known to be an advocate of decentralization now i wanted to ask you about this because i'm not sure what it means decentralization of of the internet Uh, i mean what does that mean isn't isn't the whole point of the online space even as you've just described it in terms of the freedom of you know uh of access centralization where we can find everything in one place and then yell at people on social media so Right. What 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 is what is the what is the idea of decentralization? Well, I mean, different people have different, obviously, definitions of uh, decentralization. To me, decentralization it means uh, removing all unnecessary middlemen uh, from processes to make services much more affordable uh, and scalable. Uh, when you have middlemen, uh, you uh, increase uh, latency, uh, you increase uh, additional costs, uh, you make uh, your services uh, unaffordable. Uh, for instance, if you and I uh, want to have a chat, there's no reason that my data needs to go to an Amazon uh, server in the data center and then come back to you. Ah. You know, so uh, it's uh, we, we, sh- we should be able to talk uh, directly and peer-to-peer, right? Mm. If there's a robot uh, that wants to talk to a, a manufacturing arm or to a factory worker, there's no reason that this needs to go to a uh, data center uh, in the cloud, right? Mm. Uh, and that's what decentralization means, right? Or if there is, for instance, uh, financial transactions uh, that can be done directly and a record of it still be kept for, I don't know, tax reasons Mm -hmm. and uh, anti-money laundering and all of that, any kind of middleman in the process uh, should be removed to make it uh, faster and more, more affordable, right? Uh, but so, isn't isn't the cloud the, the the safety valve? Isn't that our our backup? Don't we don't we take solace in knowing the cloud is there because that's where everything is is stored somehow? I mean, do do we like the cloud or we don't like the cloud? Well, we like the cloud. We definitely like the cloud. We need uh, some uh, central entity with where some of this information uh, can be stored in a cheap way if we uh, lose access. Uh, so that's why, uh, for instance, on cloud decentralization, we talk about a hybrid edge cloud. Uh, and that hybrid exactly means that data centers uh, working with the phones and the devices mm. together. Not that not all server functionality should be delegated or relegated uh, to uh, cloud resources in the data center. It should mm-hmm. be a combination of both. If I need to, uh, for instance, uh, store uh, some of my content on very cheap storage uh, on the cloud, fantastic. But if I want to uh, communicate that, I should be able to have a copy of that those things in my device so we can quickly share it with some mm. friends and not have to go and download it back down and uh, you know that's what we call well, it. Well, this this sounds extra. practical. It was logical. Who who are the uh, people who are would oppose this kind of decentralization? 
Oh, I think uh, there, there's no longer uh, that much resistance. There may be some business uh, kind of objectives uh, that some people may uh, argue uh, and want to, in a hidden uh, way, uh, stop it. But I think everybody agrees now. Now Edge has become uh, the new, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, fad. When we started it, uh, about 10, 12 years ago, uh, we would go talk to venture capitalists and say, what the hell, what is what is edge? Uh, oh, data privacy, what is data privacy? Nobody cares about data privacy. Mm. People are, are sharing the cameras uh, uh, in their homes with everyone. You guys are smoking something. Uh, this is, mm. uh, you know, uh, you're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. But now edge has become the new uh, fad. Uh, and, and, and it's uh, hyped. Uh, and now you uh, with blockchain, decentralization of uh, cryptocurrency, decentralization mm. of contracts, uh, all of that uh, has become uh, very popular. Final question to you on the conceptual side. I, I, uh, and I hope, I, I thank you so much. I'm, it it um, gets my mind going to get to ask you these questions around freedom and decentralization. And, and I guess in the, in the realm of freedom, you've said innovation can only truly flourish in open and democratic societies. And I think, I think when I'm quoting you saying that you are referencing Iran, but yes. is this really an absolute maxim? I mean, has China not been good at innovation? I, I, you know, obviously many folks would not mm -hmm. consider China either open or democratic. So um, what is what is the piece around uh, uh, innovation flourishing in democratic societies as, as opposed to closed ones? Yeah, this was uh, really mo mostly uh, uh, related to Iran. For, for innovation, uh, when I say innovation, it means getting a new thing, a new technology uh, from a concept to uh, finding its way into the hands of the people, right? Mm. I'm not talking about ideas. Ideas can come from anywhere. It can be in Iran. It can be in China, uh, you know, but to make... Uh, this idea, turn it to something pragmatic and practical and make it provided to everyone. It's such a arduous path. It's such a difficult path that if you don't have a democratic society that allows it uh, to flourish and happen, it has very little chance of success. I'm never a believer in absolutes. I don't say no innovation is going to come in, but innovation for it to flourish, it has to be in a democratic society where uh, all aspects from uh, business, access to market, uh, access to capital, ability to <laughs> uh, uh, provide something without censorship, uh, uh, ability to provide some, for instance, in Iran, if you want to do anything with communication, you have to go uh, get approval from the revolutionary guards. Good luck uh, bringing innovation uh, in Iran, right? And you have to probably uh, give bribes uh, to 10 people uh, before you get uh, something through. Uh, it's hard enough without bribing people to get uh, innovation through. And that's why uh, things coming out of countries uh, like Iran are copycats, uh, mostly. Mm. Right? And innovation happens in the realm of art, but doesn't happen in the realm of science. It is, um, it's such a great pleasure to get to talk to you. And I, I, I must congratulate you again on your latest distinction. I mean, anybody who's listening to you speak will fully understand why you're, you're winning these kinds of prizes and awards. Um, uh, your experience is invaluable. The education of listening to you is, is energizing. 
Uh, a final question. I mean, after guiding the success of of Mimic, the Mimic company, over the last few years as president and CEO, and you, you're now still, I know, chairing the board of directors, but I assume that you're not there day to day. What do you what do you most want to focus on doing in the coming years? So I'm I'm still very very active uh, within Mimic, but uh, it was in 2020. After a couple of years of studying uh, blockchain and technology in uh, decentralized finance, I decided to pay more attention to the business model uh, of Internet because I think most of the problems that you pointed out to in terms of Internet becoming the loudspeaker for disinformation propaganda Mm -hmm. has got to do with the business model of Internet. So I have been focused primarily on that in the last few years. There will be some interesting news. I've been uh, working uh, with uh, uh, very uh, uh, kind of uh, reputable uh, institutions uh, such as Berkeley House School of Business uh, to start looking at the business model of Internet and find creative ways to disincentivize the spread of disinformation mm. and provide the ability uh, for people to be able to distinguish between opinions and beliefs and facts and actualities, right? And the current business model obviously is is counter to that. The yeah, that's driven by disinformation. It's Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's a fundamental problem and that has been my, uh, my focus. And I think the key to this is the giving the control of personal data to uh, the owners of the data and providing a mechanism to remove the middlemen and allow people to be able to monetize their data and information on their own. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big topic, and I've been working on this now uh, for the last four or five years, and I think I have some really disruptive ideas around how to do this, and that's what I'm uh, focused on. Uh, right now and putting a team together to uh, initially do it in Mimic and if we have to spin it out, if it's not in line with uh, exactly the objectives of Mimic, then we spin it out if it's easier to launch a company. But that's, that's what I've been working on. You know what? Thank, thank God you're still young so you can think outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is a great pleasure. Thank you for the time. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. But, Gian, I wanted to tell you about your, uh, the uh, Maxi. uh, Maxi Because I I think you you would be interested to know this. Sure. King of Spain. When the King of Spain, King of Spain, King of Spain, yeah. yeah. I I don't know. It was 92, 93. Uh, When I was going to school, Uh uh, I, I had obviously immigrated from Spain, right? Oh, right, uh, right. I, I come from Spain to Canada, right? Uh-huh. And I started doing pizza delivery, right? So I, I absolutely... So, the, the, the lyrics spoke to you, the, the lyrics of my song. Uh, just just so that for people that know out there, the genius lyrics of, of the King of Spain, a song that we put out in 1993, it's uh, Once I Was the King of Spain, Now I Work at the Pizza Pizza, right? So Yeah, uh, so once th- I was the King of Spain, <laughs> now I eat. Humble pie. Uh, I used to I used to sing that all the time. You know? <laughs> That's fantastic, and also so glad you went into technology after hearing you sing that back to me. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great, man. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking the time, and I hope uh, hope to you. see you before too long. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Siavash Alamuti, co-founder and executive chairman and former president and CEO of Mimic. He is the recipient of the 2022 Marconi Prize for his technical, practical, entrepreneurial and humanitarian work. Siavash Alamuti joined us from Oakland, California today. Well, our next guests today are a dynamic Iranian-Canadian musical duo who just happen to be siblings as well. If you are in or familiar with the Persian music community here in Toronto, you will most likely have heard of or seen Sara and Nima Ahmadiyeh. They spawn from a creative family in Tehran where they grew up and they each bring their artistic superpowers to their music. Nima is a very fine guitarist, songwriter, and digital composer who was fascinated by rock music from a young age. He learned to play guitar in his early teens in Iran and would end up playing little gigs in Tehran only to move to Canada in 2010 and end up taking the stage with some very prominent Iranian artists over the years, including Siavashi Khomeshi and Kiosk. He studied visual effects for film and TV at Seneca College and has been working as a digital compositor in a number of well-known visual effects studios recently as well. Sara grew up with a burning interest in music, calligraphy, and theater. She started playing the piano in her early teens and began vocal training at the age of 18, got her BA in Persian literature in Iran, then moved to Canada in 2012. Sara studied theater production at Humber and and started her career as a scenic painter, puppeteer, and puppet builder in different companies. Together, they formed a band in 2012 called Rhythm and Vibes that have recorded some songs that you just may have heard. And it's a pleasure to have the super siblings, Sara and Nima Ahmadiyya, in the Rook studio today. Hello. 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 <laughs> nice to have you guys here. Thanks, thanks for having us thanks here, Thanks for John. having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, and thanks for the great introduction. I didn't know I've done all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, so many details. <laughs> you see, your sister should appreciate you. Look at all the exactly. things you've done. And you should appreciate I her. I almost forgot what I've done. <laughs> She's a big shot, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so interested in how you guys have negotiated your sound over the years because I know, sorry, you were a classical piano player yes. and you're a, a rock guy with all your tats and, and, and all that. So, <laughs> so h- how hard was it to find a middle ground when you first started playing music together? Um, in the beginning, it wasn't really easy because um, like Sara was still in Iran and I moved here. So uh, the environment Sara was in was different from what I was in and you know right the middle ground was the Atlantic Ocean exactly so, right right right, right. <laughs> so I was kind of more involved with like all these alternative Persian bands in Iran and I was still experiencing some you know um, memories from back home and mixed with new memories from you know West uh, culture and you know um, I was still um, into rock music in my head but then after like you know in a few years I was more interested in electronic music mm-hmm. but um, you know after Sara came here we just like after a few years of um, not basically being in touch not like in person basically two years two years yeah 
um, we just realized that you know we have more in common after all these years. The way you just described that, it sounded like she was a she's like a cool hipster kid, <laughs> and exactly. you're an, an old school rocker. Is that somehow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was <laughs> that's actually a, that's the shorthand. Exactly. Was, Even though your age difference isn't that that much. Yeah, it's right? one year and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I actually, you know welcomed Sarah and Sarah's energy into my music and you know because I was like this is what I'm missing right now because right. she's more in touch with she that. makes you cool exactly <laughs> no <laughs> that's why like sometimes some artists makes music over here and then you're wondering why like people in Iran don't listen to it because <laughs> you're very separated from what is happening inside well, that you did say something interesting that I, I want you to explain where you said um, I have my memories from uh, Iran and then my new memories here. What, 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 what are you thinking of when you're saying that, memories? You know, like, um, basically when I write down music, um, it all comes back to, like, wh- what your input it was, like, has been, basically. Sometimes it's the environment, sometimes it's the life events. So, like, the music that I used to write in Iran, it was kind of different because it was based on all the inputs from the society that I was having back then and then when so I'm what what kind of music would you write in it Iran? was it was more metal. rough and <laughs> metal basically you were, like you were angry kind of or I think so yeah mm-hmm. deep down when I go down <laughs> then I'm like okay when I go back I'm like yeah that's what I was causing it <laughs> like even here if you like in a car and listening to the radio sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense if I listen to those kind of music in the car because mm. it doesn't match the vibe oh, of the city you know actually i want to come back and talk to you about, sure. about, about your influences uh because um uh it's interesting to me that in, in general that you were into metal and rock when you were in the islamic republic of iran <laughs> i want to know how you found that stuff but you guys are actually gonna uh, we're excited about this because you're set up in the studio here you've got your guitar you're gonna actually kick us off with a, a song you're gonna play a song for us um, and this is your, uh, tell us what song, what are you playing, Sarah? Uh, so it's called Sedok on Maro, and it's, I think it's the second song we wrote together. I wrote the lyrics, and um, yeah. This this <laughs> would have been from your, you put out an EP in 2016, and this this was on that. Is that Was that, yes. was that the first th- record you put out? Um, I think the first, the second, second one, because yeah. yeah. we one. had another song. The first one was Roya Bozi, the first song uh. we wrote together, and this one's the second one. And this is a rhythm and vibes song, by the way. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you're two-thirds of rhythm and vibes, exactly. Yes, right? exactly. So I think we've got, you know, we can credibly establish. <laughs> Hang exactly. on one second. Rom, can you fix the light behind there so that it's more red? Okay. All right. So take it away, guys. Yeah. Sedo kun maro mi onaj metori ke inuto. Sedo kun maro ke mi yardam. Oh, 
از روزهای شیرین بی فکر و خیال از لبخنهایی که نمیشن تمام از روزهای شیرین بی فکر و خیال از لبخنهایی که نمیشن تمام studio playing the song Sedakum Mano that's Sara Nima Ahmadiye uh, also two-thirds of the band Rhythm and Vibes um, I, that was fantastic thank you thank that you. was a short form <laughs> yeah I, I, I know what happened <laughs> you you bailed it was so good this is the radio version <laughs> <laughs> I want the extended play yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so nice to hear you guys you know there's a thing um, I remember for years you know in the group I played and we were there were four singers and we so we were always trying to do four-part harmony and really and the people and we always envied siblings because uh, they because the best you know the best thing you can do when you're trying to harmonize is to match each other's tones and siblings have a natural ability to do that so if it's the BGs or the Beach Boys or the Pointer Sisters they they're you know they they have that same tone because they come from the same genes and they you know and so they have this natural sound when they're singing together it's interesting um, you know you're a boy and a girl but you're you have that ability to match each other's tones I mean there's a familiarity with each your voices sound similar even though an octave apart because you're you have a male voice yeah 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 I have a very yeah. deep male voice I guess <laughs> but the, no I agree I sometimes I try to record uh, like uh, Sarah's uh, voice as her own harmony because it sounds kind of better sometimes but um yeah, I can maybe touch some notes that she can because it goes very low and she can <laughs> goes very high. But it, the tone is similar. Yeah, it, between the you guys because kind of it doesn't always same. work when a man and a woman are harmonizing. It doesn't That's always true. sound That's good. Not really, no. it, and it does in this case. Yeah. What's the story with that song, Sarah? 
Um, so this one, this song was um, the second song that I wrote. I mean, I wrote the lyrics and anyone made the music, but um, it was kind of in my, I don't want to say dark days, but it was kind of when I came here, I was sad. Um, and, um, you know, I, I basically <laughs> left a life back there 23 years and I was, you know, just having a, I was having a good time back, back there, you know, it was 10 years ago, just graduated from, uh, university, found new friends, um, really cool friends, <laughs> hipster friends. <laughs> and so I had a good time. And you, then I just, you left this hip life in Tehran yeah, exactly. to hang out with your uncool brother in Canada. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just right after that, you know, I, I came here and I was just like, okay, <laughs> what do I do with my life? And um, this this is kind of like, I'm, I'm saying like, you know, call me um, in between all these like darkness, like this is what I'm trying to say. Mm. And then, um, you know, just sit beside me and, you know, just be by, by my side. Uh, I say in the lyrics and, you know, tell me about the good days that, you know, are coming. Mm. And, um, you know, so it's just me <laughs> um, asking for <laughs> the happiness and, you know, the kind of like come back to me, I guess. Mm. Um, um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, for me, it's an it's an emotional um, it has an emotional lyrics and yeah. It's just I, I noticed <laughs> in, and I'm curious about the process because I noticed in a few of your songs it says, uh, lyrics by Sarah yes. and music or arrangement by Nima. So it, with a song like that, does she come to you with the lyrics or do you come to, to her with the, the chords? Or like, how did that, how did uh, that this happen? This one, I specifically remember. You do? Yeah, because I think... Uh, I was, it starts with lyrics. Yeah, and I was, I, I was writing this and mm. I was kind of in between and we were sitting together and I, I, I told Nima and Siavash um, that, you know, I'm writing this. What do you think of this? They're like, oh, it's good. So, you know, I they suggested words or, you know, sentences and, you know, we just came up together with um this <laughs> what about the melody how does it come up come about uh sometimes uh it's very accidental to be yeah. honest like <laughs> you're just playing this and we're jamming and we're jamming so and you play something. the you play that chord progression and yeah you guys just start singing the lyrics yeah, over yeah. Time. especially when i think like when you play guitar or any other in instrument the type of songs you write down it really depends on your muscle memory like where your hands mm. go on the instrument Sometimes when I write down the music on piano, it's way different from guitar. Interesting, right? Oh my, yeah, for sure. My hands guitar, are like doing something else, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. gives me more ideas. And maybe I can just write it down on guitar, and then like um, a lot of times you can hear a song that's written on a piano versus a song that's written on a guitar. Yeah, you, you can, can just tell. hear. It, you can tell. It's super sure. tramp songs are written on piano and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ACDC songs are written on guitar. You can just kind of tell, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, because yeah. some riffs you can tell that that's a guitar riff. Like right. you can't yeah. do that on piano. Like you can bend the notes. But on it's piano. a great melody. It's a very familiar. Like uh, it's this melody that is very accessible. Uh, that song has always stuck in my head. Um, you you are both so creative and artistic, and and it would be a logical leap to say this must be a family thing. Um, is it? I mean, how much of the creativity that you have was encouraged in you when you were kids growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s in Iran? 
so you want me to say? <laughs> what? Sure. Um, so we, yeah, we've grown up in a in an artistic family. And my uh, grandfather was um, uh, a painter, and uh, he's also known as the father of animation of Iran. Father of Iranian animation. Yeah. yeah so Esfandiar. Uh, Esfandiar right? yeah. Ahmadiyya. Yeah. He he basically created animation by himself. Like uh, animation existed at the time. It's th- we were talking about like 60 years ago, but um, you know there wasn't any like social media or anything. So he he saw these uh, eight millimeters films, like negatives, and you know he bought them and brought them home. And just by looking at them, he realized you know if he put these images um, beside each other, he can make the image move. So okay. but, but he was in Tehran. It was in Tehran, and he yeah. was he was just a he was an artist. He could draw. He was an artist, and, and he, he was a painter. And yeah. this this uh, animation part of his life was, uh, I can say, like it was by accident because he he painted this um, image. I think from like Seattle or something. It was like a political event that you know a lot of people got killed in Zaman Shah (laughs) and um, he got arrested for that and like Sabak arrested him and he was in prison. He wasn't political, he was because he had this disability um, since he was born that um, hearing hearing disabilities. Yeah, so he wasn't really into like news and politics he just saw this thing out there and yeah, he started he painting it. and then <laughs> saw these two guards just showed up at his door and was like why did wow. you why did you do you know when, when would that have been in the uh, 70s or early 70s or something? i think yeah it was early this 70s. is like 60 years ago yeah. yeah yeah early 70s did you was he still around when you guys were kids did you get yeah some, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah yeah he actually 10 really years ago he passed away uh, he wanted us to be in painting <laughs> really he, so uh, and and your parents as well i mean were they uh, this sounds very counterintuitive. I mean, you're lucky. So you you didn't have the the traditional pressure. We always talk about the pressure you know, to be an engineer, be a doctor, go into sciences. Yeah, not really. No. So my mother's side, um, like my grandfather from my mother's side, um, they he used to like jam with his brothers and you know, but all the traditional music in Iran, like tar, setar. He used to play tombak. I actually have his tar right now, like. My mom just brought me his tar after all oh, these years. Nice. He got it fixed. So yeah, we saw all uh, all that uh, kind of like uh, in, uh, atmosphere and uh, environment. And then back then we were like one year old, two years old. So <laughs> we didn't realize that it's actually affecting us in future. Right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> did you did you perform together as kids? Would you do like little? things for the family or, or were you s- I mean did we what is yeah what are you not telling me you're looking at each other and no, laughing no we used to go to my grand- to grandma's house <laughs> and I was just like playing something weird like random and Sarah was singing gibberish like he couldn't even <laughs> come up with the lyrics yeah. but it it's wasn't like, a surprise that you I mean you 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 got along and you sort of w- were you would do sort of creative things in yeah another, like my one form or another together even exactly. as kids yeah my dad uh, he he used to be a drummer back mm. back home and as like just like this <laughs> what like a drum kit drummer or or he was in the band with his like cousins and That's brothers awesome. yeah okay. he, he actually played with Sator back then wow yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. But apparently they were playing in a uh, different key, and Sator was like just <laughs> exploding. <laughs> and 
And uh, yeah, so the first. Well, he wasn't playing drums at a different key. Can't no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it was his cousin's fault. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my dad used to um, play me all these um, songs uh, when I was a kid. Um, the first song that he played me was uh, Neil Young, actually. Hey, hey, my, my. What, what was it called? Like, yeah, it was Hey, hey, my, my. Hey, hey, my, my. Okay, that's. Rock and roll will never exactly. die. Exactly. So, like, so, what is this? There's a Canadian connection for you, too. Exactly. You were an Iranian kid listening to a Canadian rocker. Yeah. And now you're a Canadian rocker who's of Iranian lineage. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> but that answers the question of where you, that's how you discovered rock and metal. It was for you, through your dad. Exactly. Yeah, he. He actually wanted us to go to rock and metal music. He was very like... Your dad is my hero. He's what a still cool very Iranian strict. guy. He's like, what happened to you guys? Like, I showed you guys all these rock <laughs> music. You're listening to... You're, why are you Tiesto. making such lame music? Yeah. <laughs> I need you to play something heavy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was he into? He I mean, was, Satar is not that heavy rock. Or? Uh, no, they... So they used to get these uh, gigs that was just, you know, uh, for fun. But... Uh, they used to cover Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple back then, and wow. their uh, singer actually he couldn't uh, read in like English, so th they would write the uh, in, uh, lyrics in Farsi, but in but English words. <laughs> Imagine, <laughs> <laughs> so he could pronounce it. Is your dad still around? Oh yeah. Where yeah. is he? He it's just it. left two days ago to Iran again. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's in Iran? Yes, yes. Shai, get, get to Nima's dad, will you? On the, <laughs> you guys clear this. We don't need you guys. We oh, don't need to talk to your dad. We would love it oh, to be here. He's yeah. the best. He's a good talker. <laughs> so he was, so he, uh, no, it's interesting to me because there's this sort of clamp down. Um, I mean, we've done, you know, our series on Pink Floyd and stuff. That you know, that the, the, the 1980s are a very difficult period for. I mean, your dad was probably hiding his drum kit, you know, after the revolution. And so, um, it's. I'm so interested in how he was, you know, how and when he was playing you music and how you were learning the stuff and even where you were getting a rock guitar from. You know, I guess by the 2000s that opens up, but in the 1990s it was still a difficult time, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I think uh, he actually put away music after he came back from U.S. So he came back right after revolution happened. And um, he, imagine just going out of country right. before the revolution and <laughs> coming back to a yeah. whole an, uh, another uh, country. So I don't think he had any issue with the music back then. But, you know, after he came back, so he got married and naturally th the music faded away, <laughs> I guess, because you... He right. became an engineer. Oh, he became an engineer. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it was a different. Well, that's why genre. he's determined for you guys to not. Yeah, to, he was like, uh, you, know, you know, somebody needs to carry on the rock tradition <laughs> in the family. Exactly. Like he was like, okay, I want you to, you know, l learn music. But so I started with drums, actually, with his drum. Oh. But then I was like, you know, I need some melody. I can't, <laughs> I'm not a rhythm guy. <laughs> I have to be in a bit in the front. <laughs> but Saro, it's interesting because with all this rock talk, I mean, you you study classical piano, you study Persian literature, so you seem like you're more into the, or you were more into the, sort of the classic arts. Thing. Yes, yes, and I I loved it, um, but um, there's a but. <laughs> uh, I mean, I learned classical piano till age of eighteen. And there was this uh, time that um, I got introduced to different genres of piano uh, mm. playing, you know, like 
Um, I remember my friend brought the CD of Azizan Mustafa Zadeh, which is like, she's a Turkish um, piano player and a singer, Azari, yes. Um, and I was just fascinated. I was like, oh, so you can't play, you know, this kind of music with piano. Like, there wasn't any like social media at the time, you know, like this. Mm. Like, you just Google everything. So when I listened to that, I, I was actually listening to like rock and, you know, metal music. But, you know, when I listened to that, I was like, okay, this is like crazy. I, I want to do this. So that's that's when the classical side of me kind of like, you know, I put it aside mm. and try mm. to, you know, listen to different genres of like piano and started singing. So um, that that's that's about the, like the classical the, part. The but. influence of your father doesn't end at um, music because when I asked you guys once before about um, how why you came to Canada, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't this story of like I was dreaming of leaving Iran and it was our no. greatest wish. It was like. <laughs> Dad made us come here. <laughs> you know? So your, your dad basically dropped you off here and said, "This is where you're gonna yeah, you're exactly. gonna be." Yeah, no, he was actually very like doubtful about it. He was like, he was telling me that after he actually dropped us and left, <laughs> he was like, "Did I do the right thing or did I make a mistake?" Or because you know it wasn't by our choice, but. I'm yeah. happy that and he I did fought, it, actually. fought him a lot, you know, like the first year I was like, why did you bring me here, you know? Because like, <laughs> you, I, you, I, I mean, it. we hear um, a lot of, obviously we hear a lot of uh, difficult uh, things, uh, news about what's happening in Iran, but there is a, there's a, there's a great, I mean, I, I see and hear and, and there's this cool underground culture that happens oh, yeah. there too, yeah. that I guess you were part of, I mean, uh, yeah. you, you come... I always date it back to Who's Afraid of uh, Persian Cats, you know, like that, yeah. that underground music scene that was happening, that's 2009. So so you're there 2010, 2011, and you don't want to leave. Yeah, exactly. And I, I started to like make friends, like I had musician friends, and um, I was just starting to get into the society and, you know, just be with people. Because before that, I was just in university, just going to university, coming home, like... And that's like a whole different story. But um, that was just a time that I was like, okay, now I can meet people. And I met a lot of people. Like I met people in theater and music. And uh, I was just getting to know their culture. And, you know, I, I went to underground um, concerts. Um, but, um, you know, almost close to when I was leaving, um, like I was supposed to sing in a concert with uh, with my uh, piano teacher. He, he had a band and he was like, oh, you want to sing in this band? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I was back vocal with two other girls. The concert got canceled, you know, and we never did that concert. Um, and that's like, that's the truth of, you know, right. what's what's right. happening in Iran because women can sing. And, right. you know, that's <laughs> that that was the first thing that women I was like, cannot oh. cannot sing. Cannot in, sing uh, no. solo anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, you ha you can be back vocal, but even for us for that concert, I you know they canceled mm. it because we had female singers. So, so when uh, your dad <laughs> forces this migration to, uh, to 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 Canada, uh, at first you're you're fighting it. You say, but you take some. Surely you took some solace in the fact that Nima's here and you guys exactly, kind yeah. of uh, have each other then here, right? Um, yeah. So this decision to, to, to play music together starting in 2012, um, how did that happen? What was the first move to kind of go, <laughs> okay, my, you know, we're now we're in this new country together. Let's actually 
you know make music or record or yeah. something. It kind of it kind of goes back to like because I started in Iran in that couple yeah, of months, and then was, I brought uh, it with me here. <laughs> so yeah, Sora's like uh, music uh, genre was getting closer to mine, and I was getting closer to her type of uh, music um, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so we met somewhere in between, basically. And you know, I was playing with all these guys, and you know, I was like, you know, I want to make my own like music, or I want to like. Um, make a band with uh, someone that I really because band is like a family you know like you can't mm. just meet someone out, yes. out there and be like do you want to be part of my band so <laughs> uh, so yeah our relationship was kind of like that so it was easy to form a band and come up with something that we both enjoy but yeah it's, we started with jamming and actually we found Siavash at a, like he's a family friend but it was at a party it was like it sounds good why don't we start the band like why can't we like start writing it down music because we w used to just uh play covers basically mm. and then we went to different like um music nights at the u of t or um, you know the supermarket in downtown toronto mm -hmm. like uh, yeah. in kensington they had the open mics and you know everyone liked it it was like this is really good so that was the cue for us to, you know, we should start something, basically. Yeah, because everyone kind of like complimented us. Like the first event we went was the U of T, and it was the first time ever we were performing together. And you know, uh, there was some mistakes, obviously, <laughs> that too. Were you performing in Persian or in English? Uh, both, in English? both. English. Yeah, we covered that. Song, Adele. Adele song, and then I, I Skyfall from Adele. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So wow, you yeah. went you went straight to the James Man. Bond yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we dropped it to like <laughs> so many keys. Yeah. To be able to sing. <laughs> That's quite a song for you to sing. I'm assuming you were singing. Yeah, it. yeah. and uh, I don't know why we picked that song. I mean, it sounded good, I guess, because we we got the first place. You know. Yeah, in it that was like show. a. Oh, it was a competition. Yeah, yeah, it was like. So after that, I was like, oh, we, we can we can. <laughs> we sound good, I guess, like because you don't know until people like tell you. Yeah. You All right. Well, let me let dead. me ask you a question that, I mean, basically, I, the, I've been waiting to ask you this question. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is the, 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 everything's just been a warm up to this, as far as I'm concerned. Which is that you are siblings, um, and, and there are, as I mentioned earlier, famous bands that are comprised of siblings: the, the Beach Boys, the Bee Gees, <laughs> the Jacksons. Uh, Billie Eilish these days plays with her brother. They write songs together. Uh, but it's really no easy chore, you know, uh, mixing family and business and occupation and <laughs> creativity. And, and I actually did a survey of the whole Rook team. Uh, and every one of us <laughs> has had or currently has issues <laughs> with uh, siblings. Uh, it's just not easy, you know. You, no. y in my experience, you know, you can communicate the kind of thing you can communicate in one glance to a family member, to a sibling, is something that no close friend or bandmate or whatever would ever be that intimate, you know, would ever be that close to you, and that can that can lead to real sensitivity. So, what is the magic of you guys seemingly being so good together? I don't know. Like, <laughs> We used to fight uh, a lot, like when we were kids, and um, most of it was caused because we were living at our parents' house. So <laughs> once you s uh, just see someone 24-7, uh, I guess that clash <laughs> happens. But um, um, I don't know, because Sarah is a very easygoing <laughs> girl, I guess. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm more sensitive, I guess. Uh, but uh, she's very supportive, you know, like uh, of every decision I make. And, you know, I support her 100%. Um, I think the clash sometimes happens when um, I was telling Sarah last night, actually, like, because uh, I was thinking about this at the same time. <laughs> it was like, we, we should have something. That we <laughs> Why are we so good? Why are we? <laughs> Damn it. I remember I was mad at you, but I don't remember why. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. No, let me just, let me just to put a fine point on it. Sorry to cut you off. But you're not just in a band together. If anyone who watches looks, looks at your social media or looks at your videos, you seem to, I mean, I say this sounds ridiculous but you seem to actually really like each other i mean you're <laughs> you really genuinely like spending time together yeah. and it's no crime to say that's difficult for siblings you know you've got a lot of history things happen when you're kids and when you're growing up and you're teenagers that you know last the, you, know, you have to work out in therapy over the years you know yeah. i mean so to watch you guys it's like wow these two have figured something out together because <laughs> they really seem to enjoy being together yeah sorry it's like a gear version of Female version of me, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but smarter somehow. Oh, Sometimes. No. <laughs> what do you think, Sara? Um, how do you guys manage this? I think um, yes, we had a lot of like, issues when you know Nima was uh, in Iran and uh, we were teenagers. But um, I think you left in you left in two two thousand ten. So we were separate uh, for two years almost and um, I think that two years <laughs> was like a slap in the face for me <laughs> and um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the memories that I get on Facebook I'm like wow I, I really miss them you know and I think that kind of made this relationship stronger you know and and uh, another thing is I think music mm. um, you know when when I came here um, we like kind of right after I came here, uh, we started, um, you know, just covering songs or playing music together. And uh, I think that really helped uh, with this uh, bonding because, you know, when you you have a same purpose, you know, and you fight for it, I think that, uh, you know, brings you closer to each other and, mm. you know. But yeah, know like think. one thing to be more fair about this, <laughs> not every uh, everything is like perfect all the yeah, time. Yeah, of course. Um, so you know, I get sometimes asked to play with these different bands, mm -hmm. and you know, it sometimes it keeps me too busy. Sometimes big names. Yeah, and you know, you kind of don't have time to spend on your own projects, especially with the with the, our own band, like mm -hmm. with Sara. And I, <laughs> I've noticed that you know, sort of sometimes gets uh, kind of sensitive about this uh, topic. That you know, like, what happened to our own band? Like, mm -hmm. why don't you spend more time on? Our Is that true, Sarah? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm trying not to be that sensitive because, <laughs> like we talked about uh, in Nima yesterday, um, I think what we have is um, special. You know, mm. like Nima can have this uh, sound with any other person or any other musician, and me too. You know, it's just um, a mutual thing. That yeah. So I think, um, yeah. Sorry, but I have to. No, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, yeah, be sensitive. It's a very common. Uh, she gets hasud. Yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> <of you laughs> hang out with other musicians. 
I'm like, it's just business. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you protect? How how much do you get in, involved in each other's lives? I mean, can if Sarah wants to date someone, do you are you do you okay. be protect, protective? Okay. Are you That's most of the fights that we had back in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> and after I came here, what 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 were I the fights? More you, modern. You, you you were you were too protective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, you don't know why you're doing this stuff, but you know, it's. Um, you went full Iranian male on. Uh, I mean, yeah. You can't date this guy. I no. know him, what he's like. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I mean, the, when you're a teenage boy in Iran, I guess, like especially, '80s boy in uh, in Iran, let's say, and you just grow up with all these like uh, negative uh, news they around you, you and they brainwash you in the school. It's not just your like sister. You like you very sen- uh, protective ab- um, about your whole family, mm. especially the female ones, you know. But um, then you grow up, and then especially when you come out of that bubble, and you look at look at it at, uh, from outside, you're mm. like, okay, that didn't make sense, really, you know. And um, that was most of uh, our <laughs> fights <laughs> back then. Yeah, but I, I, it I, wasn't about music yeah. at all. <laughs> I'm happy that music <laughs> happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, but right now we're uh, and Sarah, we're what good are you friends. Say? You're um, I I know everything about Nima. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, well, you probably do. You yeah, learn I things mean, certainly I, yes, if you're, you know. Yeah. I I I really like this. Like I I want him to come to me. You know, mm. when he needs someone to talk to. You know, like I I'm I'm I try to be supportive of him. Um, you know. Um, and uh, through this, you know, process, there's a lot of sacrifices you have to mm. make too. It's not like, you know, just everything is gola bol bol and you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, agree. That's true. Yeah. What's, yeah. A, what's a sacrifice that comes to mind? Like, uh, you know, like if you know Nima is not available for me to, for, like, as someone to for me to talk to, or you know, he's not there for a while. You know, I I don't I'm, I try to like this is one example, but I try not to get upset because I'm like, OK, he has stuff to do like he has his own life and I, I try to be understanding of his, his situation. So like that's uh, for me, that's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's like, mm-hmm. you know, putting my feelings aside and trying to understand like why he did this. Sounds very adult. Sounds like you guys yeah. have a very <laughs> no, really. You have a very understanding, evolved relationship, and you communicate. And uh, I'm jealous of this. Uh, <laughs> this, uh, this is amazing. Uh, now, you, um, Sara, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, but you're a puppet maker. I you am. You make you you create puppets. Yes. Uh, I love that. I mean, I, <laughs> I I love the I love everything about it. So, how did this? Is this the grandfather lineage uh, playing its way into your hands or, or for sure yes yes because um he he was a painter but also he made a lot of like he was he did everything basically like in the house we had these like um couches he made like he made puppets he made like everything so yeah for sure it's um i've i've been inspired by him um but um, I didn't know I could do all this until I came here. Because, you know, um, like in Iran, um, I was... Puppet, ins- puppet making isn't the profession? N- no. <laughs> I mean, it is. For, but oh, okay. I was insisting of, like, you know, I'm, I have to go to this uh, 
program and I have to study literature. I want to, you know, do this in Canada. Mm. And I studied that uh, the Persian literature and I never thought I could do this. You know, I, mm. I never thought I was uh, I had this ability to create or make things so when H- I how do you find out how does one find out that one is good at making well puppets? I think uh, the environment helps a lot you know I I went to uh, to college for theater production and I was just fascinated because I, like, I have no idea about any of these courses but I love them you know mm. and like in Iran I never knew like you could a girl can do carpentry you mm. know a girl can do scenic paint or props but here I was like oh I can't do this. I can't make this, you know. And um, so I studied that. And then after, after the uh, I, I got graduated, I got into mascot business. <laughs> I, I started making mascots by like carving uh, big giant heads, and um, that's how the puppet happened. And um, I did a couple of other things in between. I still do, but puppet is one of the things. And, and Nima, you're involved in the digital animation side of, of kids programming yeah uh, I don't tell tell me a bit about what you're doing because I know you work on a, a prominent show too yeah 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 I, we I actually work at a animation studio in downtown Toronto it's called uh, guru animation um, um, I do uh, dig- digital compositing so it's basically you get all these uh, renders and then you composite them together and set the mood and you know uh, basically make a very raw image into something presentable and like very highly produced <laughs> image mm. and um, yeah this was my passion like since I was a kid um, especially when I started like playing video games I was like you know I love all these 3d characters I want to like someday work on these mm. and you know in Iran uh, I was um, studying IT and then I was like you know always going to these like private classes 3d animation here this that and you know and until i came here i was like you know i have to go to this thing because i have nothing to lose here i want to start <laughs> fresh so <laughs> let's just go here to uh, take this path you know but i have to say it's pretty cool that you guys um you know came to canada about a decade ago um as being really young and you are both working in the creative field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you it, actually it, have jobs in the creative field. That's that's not easy these it days. Wouldn't to be possible. Yeah, it wouldn't be possible if I was in Iran for sure. Like a third of my life I spent here. And a third? Yeah, yeah it's third? a third. <laughs> yeah, a third. <laughs> and you know, uh, everything I have, I actually owe to basically <laughs> Canada, to my father, your, your dad. to my yeah. dad. To your dad. So and myself. Uh, I, I want, I, I'm so. I'm happy that you guys are playing in the studio here. Now, I know we're going to play one more song before I, I let you go. But before we do that, I thought I wanted, I might ask you guys a little bit about your your perspective on um, the state of Persian music. You know, we've, um, because your music, first of all, uh, one of the things I'm attracted to in your music is it doesn't seem to fall into the current tropes of Persian music uh, or that 6-8 diaspora pop, like the same thing we sort of uh, hear over and over again, or the, even the kind of pop music that um, frankly sounds very similar to me. We did a recent series that we've started called um, The Plight of Persian Music, where we've talked about the dysfunctional and difficult nature of the Persian music business in Iran and outside of Iran for Iranian artists. Uh, 
as a general question, what are what are your thoughts on where things are at regarding making popular Persian music? Because it certainly isn't the easiest field to get into uh, compared to other uh, musical genres that uh, are not Iranian. Yeah, I think especially with Persian market, uh, it's a bit tricky because you know if you're producing. Um, music here as like an American artist or a Canadian artist who sings in English. Um, so your basically market is very wide and you know, you, you have the chance to be heard and you know, and then you can tour, you can, you know, throw shows. But um, as someone who's producing music here and, and, and Persian music uh, specifically, our challenge is, you know, you have this um, life that you have to, you know, take care and uh, you have to have a steady like uh, income so that pushes you to towards that uh, type of music that makes more money sometimes uh, you d- you're not interested in that type and of that's music. a narrower stream in Persian music in other words there's only a few genres in Persian music that make the money right um, I uh, mean overseas yeah but if you're in Iran I know like imagine 80 million people uh, live there and uh, imagine if you have like one million or hundred thousand mm-hmm. fan over there they they're all gonna show up to your concert you know right. even if you're rock musicians you know because we had some friends who traveled back home and then they were like you know I threw shows over there and it was sold out three nights back to back and you know here they would sell tickets maybe hundred tickets and per, per right. night so it kind of limits you uh, with what genre you want to uh, follow. But for us, because it's not the main source but, but of But in ing- Iran, don't you have to jump through all kinds of hoops to be able to do that live concert? You have to get your, you have to get it sanctioned and you have to be the right kind of, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I know that there are artists that have a big following in Iran, but they can't play gigs there. They can't sell records there. They can't, they don't get played on the radio there. Yeah, uh, that's so true. that's, that's true. It's functional, yeah. right? Sora has a better information on this, I guess, because <laughs> <laughs> well, she knows I, more people. I, in I just don't have a, I don't have a good feeling about <laughs> the, the the music scene, especially the pop music scene in Iran, because of the fact that women can sing, can mm. sing, mm-hmm. and you know, you see all these like uh, festivals and uh, and you see all these man just <laughs> you know just taking picture and you know s- singing and they have a show and all that and you're just like but this is not you know this is not Insane. fair and right, this is yeah. you know so <laughs> you know I, I don't ha- i just don't have a good feeling about this whole thing mm-hmm. and you know about the 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 pop music too i i i think the um, it doesn't last long, you know. The songs that uh, we hear nowadays, um, I, I'm not saying everything, because there are a lot of good artists too, mm-hmm. you know, in Iran and outside of Iran, Persian artists. But they just, I think their songs, they go by one formula, you know. It's like a pop <laughs> structure that they go by, I don't know. But Have you guys, I, I mean, playing sort of um, acoustic-ish, 
uh, rock that indie indie rock indie pop that you guys play is not exactly the mainstream you know Persian music that I hear on Radio Javon. So have you had conversations where, where you go, okay, well maybe we should make a song that sounds exactly like that cookie cutter shit so that we get played more? <laughs> or has somebody ever come to you and said, why don't we produce something like this? And uh, you're nodding, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we've had this conversation a lot. Um, you know. Actually, like my dad was tr trying to, you know, push us through this, you know, because uh, someone. Your dad. Said, yeah. Your dad yeah, was the Zeppelin <laughs> guy. <laughs> no, he's no, he, he just wants us uh, wanted, to be to, heard, to, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's like, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you do one song, like it's like a popular song, and you know, maybe if people know you, then you can do whatever you want, right, you right, know, right. but. I don't want that. I mean, I don't. By know the way, I don't think that's true because then they come to the concert just wanting to hear that yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, "What's the rest of this shit? This isn't <laughs> what I came for." <laughs> Honestly, the, nowadays, yeah. like the music industry is, um, I think it's been uh, always like this, but it's kind of merged with the um, entertainment industry. So mm -hmm. you see, some people are very like uh, well known, but um, like their music is not really good. Um, but then you go to their, you know, social media pages, and then you see like they have all these, uh, you know, uh, they oh. post all their you know, private lives and you know all yes. this stuff that people want to like hear or you know. I even had this conversation with Nima. I was like, you know, we should like film us uh, doing <laughs> something personal, and people, <laughs> you know, will yeah. follow us. And then, but you know, like, we're no. we're not <laughs> that kind of. Uh, it's hard if you're it's not. I, I I face the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I was like. Uh, I don't know if I have the, you know, desire to, at the end of the day, to be an influencer or something. Yeah, yeah. You have to really want to live that life and be that person and expose yourself and all of that. And, and, um, and I, and, and it feels like that just isn't who you guys are. I really, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, so what, what is the plan with, uh, Sara and Nima? Um, where, where do you where, what do you think the next step is? I I know the song that you're gonna play before we end off is Garibe, which is a relatively recent song, right? It's from like yep. last year or something. So Garibe, actually, this is uh, our um, very uh, recent project that we actually talked about how we can make it uh, kind of like. Um, not sound pop, but something more uh, more, structural, I guess. Like more <laughs> uh, into the you know uh, top ten genre, mm -hmm. but at the same time something that we like it. I'm excited that you're playing this song. Is it? Sorry, is this not, did you do the lyrics for this one as well? Um, I did, but um, we we changed it. Uh, I think we're, we're, when Nima was arranging it, uh, we changed it a little bit, and Nima had his input <laughs> too. So the second verse, the first verse I wrote, uh, you know, and I think with the chorus, and then he um, he wrote the second verse. I was going through verse. some stuff that I was he like, was really you know. was really emotional at the time. <laughs> I need to add a second verse to this. <laughs> you couldn't write your own song. You needed to change to the I second mean, verse of Sara's song. You needed a verse B, so. Karibe's <laughs> uh, uh, Stranger? You know, it's just like we had a thing and, you know, you're not there anymore for me. You're like a stranger to me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly. for, I think same same thing for you. Yeah, is like, you know, exactly. Like you you're not the person, same person but anymore. But after a long time, like spending time together, it feels like he's he or she's not the person you were with. Mm -hmm. So she becomes... We were together for a while then. My brother told me I can't see him anymore. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that was a bad example. 
I mean, that he, yeah. that, that, that he that interfered. Was one of the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually for you. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. This is uh, Sara and Nima Ahmadiyya in the, the Rook studio performing live the song from uh, last year, that they, uh, from 2021, a song called Qaribe. Whenever you're ready. سر توی زمستون سال پیش آسمون تیره و هوا بود وعده هایی که دادی چه آسون بیقرارم کردی بیش از پیش با صداسون از رفتن گفتن اینو از توی چشمات خوندم خیره بودم تو نگاه سردت اما جای دیگه بود افکارم غریبه منو میشناسی یا نه غریبه دیگه تو نیستی اون آدم غریبه منو میشناسی یا نه غریبه دیگه تو نیستی اون آدم رفتی همش یادت با منه توی هر گوشه شهر با هم داریم خاطره روزایی که داشتیم دیگه تکرار نمیشم دارن جاشون میدم به تنهایی و قم غریبه منو میشناسی یا نه غریبه دیگه تو نیستی اون آدم غریبه منو میشناسی یا نه غریبه دیگه تو نیستی اون studio Sara and Nima Ahmadiyya and the song Qaribe um, it was lovely thank, <laughs> you, thank you thank you guys thank you. so much for being here yeah, thank you. Uh, I can't wait for uh, new material I can't wait to now that things are reopening to see you guys perform live again and I um, uh, hope you come back 
Thanks, Thank you, John. So Thank you for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I do hope you work out all the problems you know, <laughs> between that we've that we've you didn't have before this interview, but apparently <laughs> now we've identified all the issues between you as siblings. <laughs> I have your boyfriend's address. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm kidding. The, I'm kidding. The great Sara and Nima <laughs> Ahmadia. Uh, also, Rhythm and Vibes. Uh, check that uh, them out in that incarnation. We'll make sure we put their uh, Instagram handles and their ways to find them um, at the bottom of this, uh, where whatever you're listening on, whatever platform. Nice to have you guys here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Fabulous. Keon is back in here yes. and Captain Reza. That was pretty nice listening to them play in here. That was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. So good. It was, re- I love her voice. I love her voice Beautiful. too. It's so amazing. Wow. I'm just more impressed by the fact that they can actually work together. I know. <laughs> me, I'm just I imagining know. me. I and was my literally <laughs> thinking of all of us, every single one of us and our yeah. siblings. Yeah. Uh, none, yeah. of get, <laughs> none of us can work with our siblings. Amazing. We all have a thing. No. But you said it. Billie Eilish does it. He does it. She does it amazingly. Yes, she yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a talent in and of itself. <laughs> I did an amazing job with you. You did, brother. actually. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Dang show. Oh, leave. You actually yeah. forgot, man. Genuine example uh, but you guys have had your ups and downs of course you have yes. your ups <laughs> and these guys don't sound like they have any of that they're, they're I mean, you know if you dig them. deep enough maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean Shia got the inside scoop really he's the one who jams with them right yeah. <laughs> there we go yeah, uh, yeah really nice really nice and I thought um, it was really refreshing to me to hear about a, uh, a, a Persian parent who mm. was encouraging them to go into like he yeah. sounds awesome I really do want to interview her their, their dad the drummer who me too like, I want to hear about him and also their grandfather like who is the father of animation in Iran it's, that's just it's an amazing artistic family yeah, the yeah. Whole, it runs in the in makes the, sense that they're puppet makers and yeah, yes. animators and <laughs> musicians and, and the parents are supportive what a fresh of breath not just a fresh of breath Bre- air breath yeah, of yeah, fresh <laughs> breath of fresh still fresh of breath air Still the boy from fresh. Shiraz. Yeah. There we go. Fresh of breath air. <laughs> it is a fresh of breath air. Sorry? <laughs> I um, need some payment. <laughs> fresh of breath air. That's good. Uh, speaking of uh, their parent, I mean, Siavash's father also, he's fascinating. Like the guy Siavash from Rhythm and Vibes. Siavash yeah. Alamuti. Oh, Sivash. Sivash Alamuti. That's Nima from uh, Rhythm and Vibes. <laughs> well, no, no, because Rhythm and Vibes, I thought Rhythm and Vibes, the third member is Sivash. So I wouldn't know which Sivash. Oh, sorry, we yeah, were talking about yeah, Rhythm yeah, and yeah, Vibes. Yeah, yeah. I thought it's so, because you just did a back-to-back interview. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no Sivash Alamuti, that especially the part that uh, uh, he, his father said, uh, my job is to bring water to people. You uh, know, it's yeah, really interesting. Uh, a great yeah. story. Yeah. 
the I, interview with Siamash. Uh, Siam, Siamash. What, Siamash. What's wrong? What, dude, today? you I need to. You need a right. coffee. You she, need some. And I, and I just had coffee. Uh, well, I had uh, a lot pistachio latte. You, you are a fresh of breath air. I am a. <laughs> what did you, What did you want to say about Siamak? Siamash. Alamuti, Mr. Alamuti. One thing that he said that was very interesting. And Afshin Naguni in England, when we met with them, the mm-hmm. great Persian artist uh, uh, talked about it as well, is learning the rules like a pro so that you can break them, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's crucial oh. to be in, a, in the creative world, like to be a creative artist. Yeah, the, the, the idea that you're more likely to be an innovator mm-hmm. uh, if you're younger because yeah. you don't, because it's easier to undo what you've been mm. told. You're yeah. conditioned, yeah. I guess. That's it's kind of incredible. It's it's kind of devastating. Yeah, you know, it's like. What do you mean? Well, it it it's just that uh, it's just the more you know, the Mm. more you you grow uh, and know, the more you become set in in a certain set of beliefs about yourself, the world, whatever, and it's harder to disrupt that. It's harder to undo that, you know, in terms of actually coming up with new ideas. Yeah, but he was also saying that the newer generation is less so conditioned than the older generation, which I... But his point... Well, no, his point was that if you are younger, Mm. you you are just less conditioned to live by the rules yeah. of the previous generation you know so yeah. he's saying you're he's saying this as a guy in his 50s or whatever yeah, he's saying yeah. like a younger person is more likely to create the next new thing hmm. is likely to be the mark Zucker- zuckerberg because they're not because they they have a easier facility for thinking outside the box yeah, yeah. yeah. and that that challenge is the marriage of the two right to be able to like you know and that's what we're saying that yeah. is like guiding people like young people if they're making mistakes and sometimes like he brings his guards down and accepts that he's wrong and if there is a better idea mm-hmm. but yeah that's quite fascinating like really fascinating uh thanks everybody thanks kianju and thank you uh, reza thank you shia that's full time for rook for today for all things rook related you can go to our website, our new updated website, rookmedia.com, where you can scroll through all of our episodes, all of our Rook moments, funnies, different programs, contemporary history of Iran, etc., etc. Rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together each week. Savvy Roham, talented Anahita, Ponta the artist, the fabulous Keon, Super Parisa, Alhai Merdad, Captain Reza and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, and you can do that on all of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. And in the meantime, as ever, what do we say, Shia? Oh. You want to take it? Yes. Okay. okay. Ready? Ready? As ever. Mizunbashi. <laughs>